Hello and welcome to the Why Did I Do That podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby, uh, author of The Laws of Wealth and CEO of Nocturne Capital. So today we're going to be talking about a controversial topic, one that I receive a lot of pushback on uh, when I share some of my opinions about this out in the, in the public. And so the topic for today is intuition. And we're going to specifically ask the question, should you follow your gut? Uh, in life in general, and then particularly when it comes to making decisions uh, in financial markets. So right at this moment, you are missing out on most of what's going on around you. By focusing on the words that I'm speaking, you're ignoring a far greater amount of data in your immediate surroundings. The faint humming of a fluorescent light, the slight tension in your body required to sit up, the sensation of your tongue touching your teeth and the roof of your mouth, or the whir of a distant lawnmower. The capacity of the entire processing system, conscious and unconscious, is enormous, uh, about 11,200,000 bits. But Dr. Bob Neese, who authored a really fantastic book, uh, suggests that of the millions of bits of information our brains process each second, a mere 50 bits are allotted to conscious thought. As one researcher says in the book, the unconscious does not have a capacity problem. If the unconscious is a modern computer, consciousness is nothing more than an old abacus. He goes on to say the low capacity of consciousness suggests that it may not be up to the task of making complex decisions the consequence being that consciousness will only deal with a subset of information. This may come at the expense of the final decision. So if the bulk of our processing power is intuitive and not deliberative, it seems reasonable to suggest that our financial decisions will improve as we're better able to tap into that wealth of subconscious wisdom that's just below the surface. And it turns out that this idea uh, gets strong support in arts and letters from people that, that you will have heard of. So we're, in a, we're a society in love with this idea of intuition. Uh, in an age where inc increasingly we're talking about artificial intelligence and, and automation and people are losing their jobs to computers uh, and machines and robots, it's comforting for us to think that there is something unique and almost ineffable about the abilities and the qualities of the human mind. If you find yourself in the camp that romanticizes unconscious reasoning, it must be said that you're in really good company. Steve Jobs' work was powerfully impacted by his study of non-Western views of rationality, and he was particularly moved by what he observed in India. So here's a quote from Steve Jobs. He says, the people in the Indian countryside don't use their intellect like we do. They use their intuition instead. And the intuition is far more developed than in the rest of the world. Intuition is a very powerful thing, more powerful than intellect in my opinion. That's had a big impact on my work. Western rational thought is not an innate human characteristic. It is learned, and it is the great achievement of Western civilization. In the villages of India, they never learned it. They learned something else, which is in some ways just as valuable, but in other ways is not. That's the power of intuition and experiential wisdom.
author and activist Anne Lamott has this to say about the rationality versus intuition dialectic. She says, quote, The rational mind doesn't nourish you. You assume that it gives you the truth because the rational mind is the golden calf that this culture worships, but this is not true. Rationality squeezes out much that is rich and juicy and fascinating. And our final quote uh, will come from French philosopher Henri Bergman, who says, We see that the intellect, so skillful in dealing with the inert, is awkward the moment it touches the living. Whether it wants to treat the life of the body or the life of the mind, it proceeds with the rigor, the stiffness, and the brutality of an instrument not designed for such use. The intellect is characterized by a natural inability to comprehend life. Instinct, on the contrary, is molded on the very form of life. While intelligence treats everything mechanically, instinct proceeds, so to speak, organically. If the consciousness that slumbers in it should awake, if it were wound up into knowledge instead of being wound off into action, if we could ask and it could reply, it would give up to us the most intimate secrets of life. So you would be hard-pressed to find a book or a movie or a piece of art that celebrated the sterility of rational decision-making over following the heart. But the behavioral investor demands statistics and not sonnets. As we examine the research around decision-making via intuition, a complex picture emerged that gives greater color on how and when intuition can be used and where it must scrupulously be avoided. So let's talk about some of the evidence for intuition. So the research on intuition is fascinating in part because some of the results seem downright metaphysical. One Cornell study tested uh, intuition and precognition by asking participants to select between two curtains, so to speak, on a computer, uh, one of which contained an erotic image. So the slides were randomized, totally obscured by this digital curtain, and yet across all 100 sessions, participants showed an increased ability to correctly identify erotic slides uh, more than they were able to identify non-erotic slides. So more incredible still, the subject's physiological responses tended to predict the correct curtain even a few seconds before the computer had created the image. So somewhere uh, deep inside our, our intuition, we were able to see beyond the curtain and tell where the erotic images were and where they were not. Pretty fascinating stuff. Another test of intuition presented participants with two decks of cards from which to draw with the aim being to make as much money as possible. One deck was constructed to give big wins followed by big losses, whereas the other deck was set to give small gains and almost no losses. Participants were told to look for a pattern and asked to articulate the rigging of the two different decks once they had figured it out. Participants were able to vocalize a hunch at about 50 cards and were able to speak definitively to the pattern at 80 cards but fascinatingly, they registered an intuitive physiological response much earlier. As early as 10 cards in, participants' sweat glands on the palm opened slightly, 
when reaching for a card from the more volatile deck. So we see that once again, the subconscious knew what the conscious mind took much, much longer to articulate. So some of the pioneering worked on the in outcomes of intuitive versus deliberative decision-making has resulted in some fascinating findings. So some of the findings by a gentleman by the name, I'm going to have real trouble with his name. It looks like Ab, Ab Dixter Hoyce. Uh, last name is D-I-J-K-S-T-E-R-H-U-I-S. So however you say that, finds that consciousness has a low capacity, causing choosers to take into account only a subset of the relevant information when they decide. He also finds that conscious reflection can lead to inappropriately weighting data, leading to poor decisions that eventually lead to regret. For instance, participants who chose their favorite poster among a set of five, after thinking deeply about the choice, showed less post-decision satisfaction than participants who only looked at them briefly. So thinking about it uh, made you less happy. So this deliberation without attention hypothesis makes the controversial claim that conscious thought, limited as it is in capacity, is best suited to making simple decisions whereas unconscious thought should remain the purview of complex choices. If you, need to, if you need to choose an oven mitt, think deliberatively. But if you want to buy a house, tap intuition, so this theory says. So to test this notion, researchers asked people to look at four cars that were objectively better or worse. So the best car had 75% positive characteristics, uh, versus just 25% positive characteristics for the worst car. This was repeated across four simple, across simple uh, four variable, and complex, 12 variable scenarios, uh, with participants being asked to either deliberate on their decisions for four minutes or by distracting them with anagrams before making a choice. So consistent with app's deliberation without attention hypothesis, Conscious decisions led to better choices in the four-variable condition, but worse choices in the 12-variable condition. So actually thinking, uh, thinking hard uh, led you to make a worse decision uh, when it was a complicated decision. As complexity increases, deliberate thinking begins to fold in on itself and becomes difficult to know how the various facets of a decision ought to be weighted. After all, how should one best compare a car with good gas mileage but limited visibility uh, to another with good horsepower but mediocre aesthetic appeal? And this effect doesn't seem to be limited to cars either. Wilson and Schooler, uh, 1991, asked participants to evaluate different college courses and to make decisions accordingly. In one condition, Excuse me. In one condition, participants were asked to make near-immediate decisions about which course to take after only a cursory examination of the facts of the course. In a second condition, participants were asked to carefully analyze the pros and cons of the various courses and write down their reasoning. As with the cars, those who deliberated more fully made worse decisions and focused on a more limited set of criteria. As complexity proliferates, decision-making ability disintegrates. More interesting still is that unconscious decisions seem to lead to better subjective appraisals post-choice. Flying in the face of intuition, 
people tend to be happier with their choices when they don't give them much thought. So great, it's settled then. All we have to do as investors uh, to become stock picking experts is to shut off our brains, rely on intuition, and let the metaphysical magic of the subconscious take over. Well, not so fast. Because for all of the wonderful evidence in favor of intuition, there's a great deal that speaks against it when it comes to the specific task of making investment decision. A 1968 study by Lewis Goldberg analyzed the performance of a model-based approach to assessing mental illness versus the clinical judgment of trained doctors uh, like myself, trained psychologists. Not only did the simple model outperform the psychologist's intuition head-to-head, but it also bested psychologists who were given access to the model, so sort of this combined approach. Models have also been shown to outperform human intuition in predicting the outcomes of Supreme Court decisions, presidential elections, movie preferences, prison recidivism, wine quality, marital satisfaction, and military success, to name just a few of the over 45 domains in which they have demonstrated their superiority. So a meta-analysis found that models equal or beat expert decision-making a whopping 94.12% of the time, meaning that they are only defeated by human discretion uh, just under 6% of the time. Moreover, many of the domains in which algorithms greatly outperformed had human behavior as a central component, as do financial markets. Job turnover, suicide attempts, juvenile delinquency, college academic performance, length of psychiatric hospitalization, and occupational choice all showed more than a 17-point effect size in favor of the simple rules. So when people get involved, when human behavior gets involved, it seems that we need rules to guide our decision-making and that we can't just rely on discretion. So Chanteau in 1992 shows evidence that discretionary expertise and intuition are evident in livestock judges, astronomers, test pilots, soil judges, chess masters, physicists, mathematicians, accountants, grain inspectors, photo interpreters, and insurance analysts. Professions that showed poor evidence of discretionary expertise and intuition include the following, and I want you to look for, again, this common denominator among professions that do poorly when relying on intuition. Stockbrokers, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, college admissions counselors, judges, human resources professionals, and intelligence analysts. Now, do you notice a trend? The more central humans are to the discipline in question, the less intuition and human judgment work. You can make great discretionary choices about wind shear, soil density, or a P&L statement, but introducing the quirks of humankind makes it an altogether different conversation. Sure enough, Chanteau lists the following as the criteria for making good discretionary decisions. Predictable outcomes, static stimuli, and the availability of good feedback. Capital markets, in which human behavior is absolutely central, meet none of these conditions. 
Forecasting guru Philip Tetlock says emphatically what the meta-analysis I've just quoted says statistically. It is impossible to find any domain in which humans clearly outperformed crude extrapolation algorithms, less still sophisticated statistical ones. The research is unequivocal. If you are using human judgment uh, instead of rules to make investment decisions, uh, you're doing more work than you should and, and often for a diminished result. So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation around the applications of, of intuition, where it works and where it doesn't. I believe in intuition. I believe that it's powerful, uh, but I also believe that it's domain specific. Our bodies and minds are a miracle. I think a lot of what, what it takes, though, is understanding where to best apply one set of rules uh, versus another. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast, I would ask you to do a couple of things. I'd ask you to leave a, a review and a rating on iTunes. Many of you have done this, and it's been enormously helpful, so thank you very much. And I'd also ask you to tell just one friend, uh, to tell just one friend about this podcast. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, there's a few uh, ways that you can do that. You can check out my book, The Laws of Wealth, uh, which I think you'll really enjoy if you enjoy this podcast. You can check out my website, nocturnecapital.com, uh, or you can try and book me for a speaking event. If you're interested in having uh, someone come speak at your event, uh, I'd love to share some of these insights about human behavior at your next event. Uh, you can find me uh, at my website at nocturnecapital.com, on Twitter at Daniel Crosby, or you can easily find me uh, on LinkedIn as well. Thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.